Sports Radio. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. The fan. I know I'm gonna get pimped. They gonna pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I did old uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not Misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. First edition of the year of our Lord, 2019. Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Sitting here with my big crooked co-host Mike Rodak, Rodak. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. You can see his byline in the Buffalo News, the Niagara Gazette, the Associated Press. Where else these days? Have you added anything else to your portfolio, Jonah? I write for something called Field Level Media, but I've never really seen where that gets published. Although I think the Buffalo News uses that it came from Sports Exchange. Field Level Media? It's a wire service? Yeah. And Something what kind, like that, what do you right. write for that? Yeah, wire service stories. Like, Bills well, games, Bills okay. games, UB games. All the things that would happen in Western New York that people would read on a wire service. Right. Bobby Rosati's diddling the Dobbs. Vaping in the crosshairs, Bobby. It is. Front page story Under on the fire. Buffalo News. Yesterday, was it? Jonah? I saw it online today. Okay. Huh, interesting. Mike Rodak's the one who brought it up, and I'm looking at him for some sort of assistance, and oh, he's... I- didn't you say no, something about... Okay. Jonah's the one who reads the Buffalo News. Don't put me in that category. <laughs> Easy. Fiery. Easy. I, know, I love the Buffalo News. I know we're being monitored, so don't uh, don't say anything that's going to make him uh, just tell not Jonah he's not allowed to be on the show anymore. I don't get anymore. The, the paper on my doorstep every morning. I'll send you an occasional gift, story, but... gift subscription if you want. Okay. Bobby, what are we vaping today? Uh, mixed it up with uh, watermelon, some uh, raspberry... And then the usual uh, lemonade, peach base, lemonade base, yeah, peach lemonade, peach lemonade. Okay, yes. yeah. when was the last time you vaped without your precious peach lemonade? Probably this couple, is like when I, we ago. would ask my uncle, like, when was the last time you had a beer that wasn't Pabst yeah. Blue Ribbon? Oh, that was his thing. Uh, probably a couple months, at least two or three months. What is it about the peach lemonade vape? I is had it a lot mel- of it. Chi- oh, I see. You're trying to get rid of <laughs> yeah, it. You had it in bulk. Just like I got a lot of it. All right. And I like lemonade so. Works out. Do you know what I made today? I made pumpkin mac and cheese. I oh. found some recipe online. What? Might have been Pinterest. Who knows? I think it was. It's probably a joke. No, it was like a good recipe. Actually, it, huh. you put like pumpkin pie filling in with cheese sauce. Oh. And it's not that what? bad. It's it's better than I would have thought it was. So I have about a pound and a half of that in my fridge right now. Pound and a half. Well, maybe you could sell it like a deli. Yeah, give me a pound and a half of the. Uh... <laughs> Pumpkin, pumpkin mac, mac and cheese. cheese. Oh God! What did you make today, Jonah? I, I don't think I've even eaten yet today. No, I about four coffees. Well, I just meant make in general. What have you produced? You made doo doo. <laughs> Not much. I made sure my phone was charged for this uh, Periscope broadcast. And yeah, you are ready. making Periscope. Jonah Bronstein uh, publishes on his uh, Twitter feed, and we all retweet it and such. I made a couple tweets. Uh, live stream. Of the Tim Graham show, so you can catch it uh, if you follow. Well, Mike Rodak refuses to retweet it because he doesn't want to get in trouble from the worldwide leader. I will in sports. retweet it as we speak. 
Oh, look at you. Done. Well, thank you. Uh, the Tim Graham show uh, can be seen on Periscope in that way. Of course, if you're hearing it now, you're listening to it live. Uh, oh, and by the way, all previous Tim Graham shows are available on Periscope and iTunes and SoundCloud in podcast form. And uh, today's show is available on podcast within minutes of us wrapping up here uh, at the station. We're going to have Jesse Cubinet on today. He's going to return. Jesse is an associate producer for Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's uh, he's the guy who handles this week in unnecessary censorship. One of the great uh, running gags that uh, they have on the on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, he's worked with Conan O'Brien. Started out at the Second City in Chicago, and um, Jesse Cubinet is a huge Bills fan. And uh, we had him on earlier in the season. We're going to have him on to get his thoughts on how the season wrapped up. Uh, the big well. It's not big news. It's a talking point. Juan Castillo being fired by the Buffalo Bills, uh, the offensive line coach. I don't think that this is any great shock. No. Um, He had some comments uh, to Vic Carucci in the Buffalo News. If you want to check that out, it's a lot of excuse-making and defending himself, Um, which uh, he makes some, some good points. But you also have an offensive line coach, in his second season, uh, he lost Richie Incognito and Eric Wood. And, yeah, he lost some other guys, too. You know, Cordy Glenn, you can add to that list. But, really, the two guys he lost were Eric Wood and uh, Richie Incognito at center and left guard. And, yes, there was a rookie quarterback. Uh, there was uh, He was prone to hang on to the ball too long uh, at times. Uh, Juan Castillo saying that he did a good job developing guys like Wyatt Teller. But the reality of the situation is is that Brian Dable has in, is entrenched himself on this coaching staff, and with Sean McDermott focusing more on the defensive side of the ball, and the fact that Josh Allen and Brian Dable evolved together, Brian Dable is going to have more of a say as to what he wants out of his offensive line. So uh, I'm not, and I'm not saying that he pulled the trigger on Juan Castillo, but. I think that your offensive coordinator, especially on a young team, uh, you want to bring in new offensive linemen. And I had a nice chat with Eric Wood about that today. We can get into that some more about how a new offensive lineman can bring in some different blood, usually does when it comes to that position. Um, there's there's needs to be some growth. There needs to be a next step taken. And I think Juan Castillo and we can get into Danny Crossman, the special teams coordinator, are the two obvious ways that the Bills can improve by making changes to the coaching staff? I think the biggest problem that – well, the biggest problem that led to Juan Castillo being fired is that it wasn't a young offensive line necessarily that began the season. I mean, they brought in Russell Bodine. They had Ryan Groy, who's been in the league for four or five years. They had Vlad Dukas. They had John Miller, who's been in the league for four years. Jordan Mills has been in the league for longer than that. So this is actually a fairly veteran offensive line. I think when they were still starting Dukas back in October, I remember checking the amount of games that they started combined, and it was or the average amount of games. I think it was in the fifties. So it wasn't as if you had a, a young offensive line out there that needed time to grow and to learn. I mean, this group should have done better than what they were. They with were that young. Said. They didn't have a lot of experience. They've been no, in the league no, for a few the, years. <laughs> The amount of guys, I mean, John Miller started since his first year. Jordan Mills was a 
fourth year, fifth year starter at this point. Russell Bodine started every single game of his first four years in the NFL with the Bengals. Vlad Dukas has started a bunch of games for the Jets and the Bears over the years. So, Well, at the end of the game, uh, the home game after Miami. Detroit? No. Yeah. Uh, after Miami on the road, you mean? No, it was a home game after Miami. The Jets Jets game. Right, the Jets, because I knew it was a loss. I took a look at that starting lineup, and the the people who were on the field at the end of the game, the 11 offensive players, were averaging 20 NFL starts, and that included Charles Clay. You're talking the end of the season. I'm talking beginning of the season when things should have been better. You're talking with Wyatt Teller starting, with Ike Bucker on the field at one point. Bucker wasn't on the field for that game, but it was in Mills. Brian Roy has less experience, and he yeah. was starting in place of Bodine. Sure. Um, Mills was ejected if you're, well, from the Dolphins game, but he was still on the field. He has a whole bunch of games of starting experience. So again, right. I, well, I included that, but even with him, they were aver- the entire offense was averaging about 20, I think it was 26 starts and in the NFL. Right, but the entire offense, that's being then taken down. the skill down. positions only went down to about 24 or something like that. or It was in that range. But it, Right, it's being taken down by the quarterback, in that case, by the wide receivers. I said the skill position. I said I separated right. them. Stop quibbling. Right, it's it, the point. my point being they had an experienced offensive line to start the year. The only guy with less than four years of experience they had was Deion Dawkins to start the year. So that line should have been better. Now you get into the point where, okay, let's take a look at Wyatt Taylor. Let's take some looks at Ike Bucker. Connor McDermott got into the game on Sunday when Jordan Mills was ejected. Ryan Groy was in there in place of Bodine, who broke his leg. And then I think, in that case, Juan Castillo has more of an argument that you have younger guys and he should be given time to develop them. And look, this in a broader sense, I think this is the question that Sean McDermott's going to have to face, and Brandon Bean, too, this offseason is, for all that they've talked up their young players, the Robert Fosters, Levi Wallace, Jason Kroom, Isaiah McKenzie, go right down the list of young guys who, Corey Thompson, starting at linebacker, who they keep talking about growth and development. Are you going to put those guys in prominent roles again next year? Or in some cases, are they going to be on the roster at all next year? Or Probably are you, not. Are you trying to upgrade from what you have? So as much as there is going to be the talk about bringing this young team along, you know, methodically, slowly, calculate, whatever words you want to use, at the same time, this is the NFL, and I think there is pressure to win in moves like this where you fire your offensive line coach, potentially other changes to the staff as well are a sign that, you still got to get better, and this is not simply just put the pot on the stove and, and, and let it boil over a course of three or four years. I have no idea what you're trying to say. Can you translate that, Jonah? I don't know what his point, what his thesis is there. <laughs> I'm but not. I think he's saying I'm that not they, tr- I'm not doing it just yeah. to be a, a no, wise. No, my my I'm, point I'm not... is that as much as they want to talk about this is a young team and we're trying to bring it along and we're gonna draft and develop and we're going to have guys like Robert Foster who each week we're going to get better we're going to be playing him each week Levi Wallace is going to be starting each week probably not like it's probably going to be the case of let's go out and find guys to replace the younger players who are better well you're not going to develop all of your young players especially when you have 90 million to spend and 10 draft picks or whatever it is they, right. they're going to have a lot yeah so it's almost like at some point this year let's say after seven games 
it turns into an extended preseason for 2019. So, right. yeah, you're developing guys, but it's not that they're all keepers. You're going right. to go ahead and put them out there and, and let them play as much as you can and see what you have. So that way, when you do go into free agency, but a lot of positions, they're going to have a guy that they like who they're going to probably get rid of because they have so they're going to have so much assets. They're right. bring, you're going to bring Which, in so much competition, and they're going to add veterans, and they're going to have ten rookies. I and agree, all that stuff. But in doing so, in some ways, they will contradict the message this season which was continuity and chemistry. Like it, it, Josh Allen's not going to be throwing to Isaiah McKenzie, Robert Foster, Damari Scott, Zay Jones, those guys good. next year. And Bills fans will say good, but it, it does also, when you talk about, well, we're, we're building these guys up, we're having more time together, we're going to have time on task and growth and development, and one day at a time we're getting better. Well, who bought that? Are you saying that you've been you've been, I've been you've I've bought been into, that? into that? Been Come on! But that's that's how that's what coaching is. Even if it doesn't play out to all these guys starting next year, when you have a young team, right? That's what you're trying to do. And, right. and I think you'd want to look at it case by case. How many of these young players did they properly? Let's ha- develop? Yeah, let's have some consistency on the offensive line, just so our quarterback doesn't de- get decapitated this week. You know, that doesn't right. mean we're going to have them around next year. Well, I think they should or believe you're developing in continuity. Quality, maybe you're developing quality backups. And I, I, and what do, I mean, all right, let's get back to Juan Castillo. And here's one thing that Eric Wood and I, we had a discussion today about it. And he was, he said that he'd reached out to Juan Castillo and he liked Juan Castillo as a, as a person and uh, taught him a lot as a, as a player, but uh, not surprised to see him go. And one of the things that Eric Wood mentioned in a way that the Bills, when you start looking forward as what can the offensive line coach really do? Now, of course, you have different schemes that you can coach up. One of the points that Eric Wood made, and by the way, he'll have a column uh, at The Athletic uh, tomorrow uh, on his thoughts on the entire Bills offseason, how they should approach free agency, the draft, different uh, positions and needs, and it's through his uh, perspective, and I I think it'll be – Pretty interesting to take a look at what Eric Wood, a guy who's been in that locker room, thinks. Um, But one of the points that he was making about the offensive line coach is that in projecting what the Bills will do at offensive line, you need to know who that coach is going to be first. Unlike a lot of other position coaches, the offensive line coach has a tendency to bring people with him, like Juan Castillo did with uh, Vlad Dukas like Aaron Cromer did with Ryan Groy and Jordan Mills. Uh, when the Bills had Joe D'Alessandris as their offensive line coach, uh, when he went to the Chargers uh, after he was let go, he took Doug Ligurski, Chad Reinhart, and Chris Hairston with him. Now you're not saying like, oh, wow, that's great. Now that's not the point. The point is is that whoever this coach is, he's probably going to be pulling in from his past guys that Brandon Bean will be signing. Um, so you hope that Whoever this offensive line uh, this offensive line coach is has a, a nice free agent or two uh, that's uh, that he's worked with, and to that point, if you have all this money to spend, who's Juan Castillo going to bring in? He's already brought in Vlad Dikas. Is like, is that the best he could do? Is that the best he could recruit over the last couple of years? And again, I think it comes back a lot of it to Brian Dable in the fact that he's entrenched himself as uh, a keeper. Uh, he, he's he's from here. Uh, unless he starts getting head coaching offers, I don't see why he would have any um, reason to leave. 
So you have Brian Dable, you have Josh Allen as your quarterback. Those guys are moving together, uh, progressing together. I think it's wise for Sean McDermott to give Brian Dable some say as to who the offensive line coach is going to be, not the guy who used to be the defensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers um, years ago. One thing, maybe Mike can speak to this more in detail, but I remember last year there were issues or with the Eagles. I'm sorry, changing Eagles, right. What was your question? Yes. I was he replaced Sean yeah, yeah. McDermott as with defense the coordinator. Right, right. Yes. Everything there were issues last year with using multiple blocking schemes, changing, maybe even using different schemes within the same game. It seemed like Richie Incognito was complaining about that. He I was. don't know if Eric Wood oh, was. I, he might have been one of those guys. Now, what do you think they settled on one blocking scheme this year? Was it the one that the players didn't like last year? It did seem like they were – Whatever they were doing up front wasn't working with LaShawn McCoy's running style. And I always wonder They had to have a meeting about it. And it was LaShawn McCoy and Eric Wood sat down with Sean McDermott and Juan Castillo and they had to they said we need to get back to more of this wide zone scheme that we used to do uh, previously right. that we helped us lead the league in rushing as opposed and things took off from there. So how, but how did that play out this year? Did they stick with what worked at the end of last year? Did they go back to maybe what Juan Castillo's preferred blocking scheme is? Was there much talk about that this year? There wasn't. I, I'm probably not the guy to ask from a technical standpoint of how much zone there was or how much man blocking there was. Um, I, I do know, like what you said last year, LaShawn McCoy's first half of last year, the first six games or so, were awful, and then it, it turned around when they went back to – more of the, um, more of the, was it? I think it was more of a zone, right? Okay, that's what you said. So what they did this year again, I I, I can't say I got that granular. Um, I, the, the style of offensive lineman, I don't know if they really have one that that fits one or the other. You go back to Doug Marone, and he just tried to get three hundred fifty pound guys to to move guys and more of a power blocking scheme. Um, and then you could have a more of a zone blocking scheme, like you know the Patriots, for instance, love the the 290, 300 pound lineman who can move and, and can pull. So, it, well, they, it, they really missed incognito pulling those plays. Right. A lot of Lashawn McCoy's big runs came like that. And I don't know if that's a personnel thing or the scheme. Well, it, the good thing about how their roster is constructed right now is they'll have a chance to find new offensive linemen without having to blow up what they already have because they already have a bunch of free agents. John Miller's a free agent. Ryan Groy's a free agent. Jordan Mills is a free agent. And really their top backup by the end of the year, Jeremiah Searles, is a free agent too. So that leaves you with Vlad Dukas, who's probably gone himself. You can release him and basically save his entire $2.5, 3000000 dollars cap number. Russell Bodine, which I think you know they'll keep him, but I'm not sure he's a starter next year. And then you would have Connor McDermott, who's still a, a – developmental guy at this point has barely played in the last two years and then Deion Dawkins as well um and, and then Ike Bucker and Wyatt Teller too so you only have six guys under contract right now five if you release Vlad Dukas so that gives you plenty of of room so to speak to go out and, and find guys to fit your scheme without having to cut anybody or trade anybody or um you know upset the apple cart because the apple cart's already been turned over at this point all right, now everybody wants to know about Danny Crossman. Uh, there have been no updates, and people have been tweeting at me all day, probably also to you, Mike. Uh, mm -hmm. What's the latest on Danny Crossman? Fans just want the guy gone. Um, I would I would be stunned if he's back. Uh, I think it would be a grave – well, grave maybe is a little hyperbolic. <laughs> it would be a big mistake uh, from uh, 
Sean McDermott to bring back uh, Danny Crossman for a third season. His special teams have been uninspiring at best, uh, cataclysmic uh, on some weeks, and have cost them games. The amount of penalties you get, uh, missed assignments, uh, the Jets game, it really uh, fell apart on him and and cost the, the Bills a victory over the Jets at home. And I think that Danny Crossman, the lone holdover from Doug Marone's staff when Sean McDermott took over, or excuse me, when um, Rex took over. When Rex took over. And then the lone holdover from Rex's staff. And so I don't really know what the reputation is there or why he's, uh, why he's, but when he arrived with the Bills, I recall reading stories about his, uh, his time with Detroit and how his special teams always ranked at the bottom of the NFL. Um, Granted, uh, he's he had didn't a couple get... good years here and there. Last year, like 2017, was was actually a pretty good year ranking wise. But then this year was one of the worst. I'm trying to pull up the. Uh, yeah, well, we can get into that later in the stats, show. We actually, yeah. yeah, but um, you know what we're gonna have? We're gonna have Jesse Kubinet coming up after the break uh, from Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, big Bills fan. He's gonna give us his take on the season. And uh, UB basketball talk. UB uh, number 20 in the rankings. They move up a spot, but. A result last night could have a butterfly effect on the UB uh, ranking situation moving forward and not a positive one. And we'll talk about that when we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lynn. (laughs) Having the script in front of me is such a crutch, and I got, I was going to do it without looking at the script. It's like the first time I realized I could type without looking at the keyboard, right? (laughs) And uh, I choked. I had to, I need my script, even though I've said this tag a hundred thousand times. Maybe we should put some visual aids, like pictures up, so you know who's who. We have pictures, and I was going to do a big reveal today, and I went shopping because I need frames, as you know. I don't want to. Re- uh, people in here know what I'm talking about, but I need a frame, discount frames, and framing is, I think, one of the big scams out there. Yeah, <laughs> finding good framing, you just get gouged if you go to. And I don't want to name names of shops because I actually will go to these places. Sometimes they have good deals, but. In general, I think framing is so overpriced. So I went to a two big lots. I went to a, a save save more. What is it? Save save a lot. Say is it no? Save isn't save a lot of grocery store. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but what's what's the name of it? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not saying. That I'm I'm going to the places where I went. Oh. This is where I choose to go. Now sometimes you're stuck and you have to go to Hobby places. Lobby. Save, We've gotten stuff framed well, there right. before. Well, that's where. Uh, but savers. There's one in Tonawanda. Oh, I've never heard of it. Savers. It's kind of. It's just like a rummage sale under a roof. It's not. <laughs> I was. It was. Because what I'm looking for is something. I'm going to pop the old stuff out and put my stuff in it for five or ten bucks rather than. <laughs> Dude. Bobby is jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to yep. end up in a bumper. That'll be a stinger at some point. Anywho. So you need frames. Yes. I do have uh, mnemonic devices that we will have and proudly display uh, our affection. It was a gift, and I will have a big unveiling uh, from a prominent, 
prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me, and uh, it's going to tell everybody out there about Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. On the line in uh, Los Angeles, I'm guessing, is Jesse Cubinet. I know he's on vacation. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live is uh, not taping this week because of the holidays. And uh, he's uh, been nice enough to come and join us uh, here on the program to talk about his beloved Buffalo Bills. Uh, Jesse, where are you right now? Uh, I am in Los Angeles right now. Okay, excellent. What part of town do you live in? I live in, uh, it's, it's right near North Hollywood, um, so a little bit outside the craziness of Hollywood, which if you haven't been, is a lot like Times Square, except grosser, is the way I would describe it. I don't know um, if that's so possible. I get, I get out of the madness a little bit. Before we get into anything Bill's related, I got two words for you, TG. Yeah. Joanne Fabrics. Oh, Ooh. yeah? That's framing? I can do framing at yeah. Joanne Fabrics? Oh, yeah. No kidding. If you're going to a big frame store, you're doing it wrong. Joanne Fabrics is giving frames away. Okay. I didn't you know this. Go. I saw, like, it, uh, say, <laughs> it Savers, they were selling for five bucks. It's a good value, I think. Uh, the old tube computer monitors. Like, these things were massive. What? Well, it's like a good... you got to pay to get rid of those these days. Probably more it. than five bucks. Five bucks. And I was like... Yeah, do I get somebody to carry it out to my car for me? I, it was the things that were for sale, and uh, I couldn't find what I was looking for. Uh, old adding machines. I saw a uh, typewriter, like an electric typewriter uh, for sale at Savers. So things Did that buy it? people don't want but aren't in, in, quite antiques yet, you can get at Savers. And you bought it? I <laughs> No, I still have the one that my parents gave me when I graduated from high school so I could take it off to college. This was before personal computers were household devices, but I went off to college where personal computers were everywhere. So not good value there. But Jesse Cuban, it's on the line. <laughs> Jesse, I want to I ask you, uh, let's stay on this for a second. Mm-hmm. We can maybe tie these two things together because um, when people go out to become famous or try to make mm-hmm. it using finger quotes, make it in Los Angeles, uh-huh. a lot of de- delusional people, they, maybe they don't do what you do by coming up through Second City, Chicago, and you worked uh, with Conan O'Brien in New York. Um, wait, was that in New York or was that in L.A.? No, Conan was out here. Okay, uh, so it was after he left NBC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um where do people go? How, how how do you live? How do you find a place to live? Because that's always the thing I always thought about is that it, it really takes balls to want to move across country or to go somewhere where you're not even sure where you're going to be sleeping at night. Well, so both for Chicago and Los Angeles, I had no contacts with anybody uh, in either city. I didn't know anybody that lived in either one. And... For Chicago, my dad knew a guy who ran the dorms at Columbia College, Chicago, um, and he had like a spare room uh, for me. So I actually, I lived in dorms uh, at Columbia College, Chicago when I moved there. And then for Los Angeles, it was extra tricky because I was on a bit of a time crunch and didn't know uh, anything. I didn't know how... Big it was. I knew Los Angeles was huge. I had a car. 
Um, I actually ended up living in, and they've changed the name, but this place called the Oakwood Apartments. And there's a crazy documentary about this place. Uh, have you guys ever seen the show Love on Netflix? I have not. The, so the guy, his, uh, in the show, his girlfriend breaks up with him, and he is a, a teacher on sets for child actors and needs a place to go. And he goes to live at this place called the Oakwood Apartments, and they shot it all there, and it's these big, like, studio one-bedroom and um, two-bedroom apartments, a huge complex, and it's full of child actors and their parents that move out there for a little bit if their kid's in, like, has a part on a show or in a movie or something. It's a really, really weird place. A lot of uh, college kids move out with uh, a bunch of friends if they're doing a semester out there. It's a lot of partiers, a lot of people who maybe were in a few commercials um, way back in the day. So some, you could really do some uh, sabotage. Like, you could go walking around and presenting yourself as somebody, getting people's hopes up, or, you know, maybe make some connections, uh, maybe some uh, with, <laughs> maybe, with some moms I don't know in about the group. Connections. Or, there, so the... Um, the store that they have there, they have a little corner store and like just about the size of a bodega in New York city. And it's full of headshots um, of people that have stayed at the Oakwood apartments. And you look around and you have no idea who any of those people are. Um, it was, I had an okay time there. I kind of just kept to myself, but just the caliber of people living there, uh, especially on the party side, I was leaving one morning and walking to my car. And I remember it was a Tuesday morning. Um, and a bright orange smart car came screaming down right next to me, threw on his brakes, a huge dude threw open the door and, uh, threw up in the middle of the street and then, uh, pulled off and then laid down on a median after there. Cause he was, uh, too hung over from the night before to keep driving his bright orange smart car. So that's basically who was living there at the time. Those kind of people. And Jesse Cuban it. And me, of course. I was going to say, it sounds like Alan Branch, the former <laughs> Bills defensive tackle who was That's throwing right. up out of his car. That's right. It might have been. It was he, a big dude. He, he came lost out his here job. to try and make it. So, Jesse, your thoughts on your beloved Buffalo Bills after a 6-10 and 10 season. Uh, Sean McDermott says on his uh, at his news conference on Monday that he does feel more excited about his team even after a 6 and 10 season than after a winning record and a playoff berth last year. Where are you with it? Um I think I was I can't remember exactly what time of the year that we uh talked last the last time I was on the show but it was pretty bleak. Um that's what I remember. And since the Matt Barkley Jets game, it was just really fun. And I, was, I wasn't expecting it to be fun again. I thought it was kind of going to be lame. And, you know, we brought Matt Barkley in off the street. And he lights up the Jets, which was really cool. And then Allen comes in and throws together a string of games. And uh, Sunday was one of my favorite games in a while with, you know, Kyle Williams send-off. That was really cool. Um I feel good about it. I'm constantly refreshing Twitter to see anything about, you know, possible free agent moves or like what they want to do or uh, where they're going to go, what's going on with uh, 
Castillo and um, Danny Crossman, like, you know, just kind of seeing what moves they're going to do in the offseason because now it's time for them to put their money where their mouth is, literally. Did you find it uh, with the entertainment? All right, so given your line of work, man, a lot of, mm-hmm. I keep reminding people that uh, you're an associate producer with uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live and you do the, uh, the fantastic weekly segment this week in Unnecessary Censorship. Uh, oh, and by the way, have, were you able to work the bills into this week in unnecessary censorship at all? I think I got one in this year at some point, but we also, uh, on our YouTube page, uh, you should check out this year in unnecessary censorship, which is, we just kind of go through and pull some of the best ones from the full year of the bit. And it's usually like a minute long and this one's about two minutes and it's, it's pretty solid. Um, it's, uh, it was a good one this year. All right, I'll um, but I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. I always try. I always try for uh, McDermott or um, you know any player doing a press conference. Um, I'm already gotten Josh Allen and um, one of them kind of around the draft. So, but you know, there's there's always it's a new year, new opportunities. How much humor do you find in your Buffalo Bills, or is this your escape from from the drudgery of the comedy industry? Sometimes it, you can't help but think it's funny. At the beginning of the year, it was a bummer, uh, the way the year started, because it is an escape from everything. I think for a lot of people, you know, you hopefully get to watch the team do well, which hasn't been the case a lot of the time. But um, I watch with, like, a big group of friends all from Buffalo that live out here, and we like to have a good time and laugh about the good times and the bad. Um, you know, last year was amazing. Uh, obviously if they're doing well, it's way more fun. Um, but if they're doing really bad, that's great too. Like one of our favorite moments in, uh, this group watching together, which has been about five years was when, um, Dan Carpenter spiked his helmet and it came back and hit him in the face. (laughs) Right. Watching that live with uh, a group of comedians is a pretty good time. (laughs) Well, the script writes itself every, uh, every Sunday afternoon. We're in conversation with Jesse Cuban, he's the associate producer for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and a huge Bills fan because of his uh, his lineage, his uh, mm-hmm. his family connection to John Corto of uh, Orchard Park Orchard High. Park. Yeah, Orchard Park High. Yeah, and okay. St. Francis. Mm-hmm. I'm at St. Francis College, not St. Francis High School. Or no, uh, Sacred Heart. Sacred. Oh, Sacred, Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart in Connecticut. Yeah. Oh my. Okay. My bust. All right, see, I... Sacred Heart. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a school. They uh, let him play lacrosse and football, um, whereas a lot of schools, like, the bigger ones wanted him for lacrosse. He's a hell of a lacrosse player, um, and he loved football and wanted to keep playing that, which turns out that was a good decision. Um, and Sacred Heart was like, yeah, do whatever you want. You can come play football, you can play lacrosse, you can play water polo, do whatever, just as long as you come here. And he went, and uh, I went to a couple of his games, and it was fun. He was getting, like, 20 tackles a game, um, you know, playing up there, and he was a beast. He always has been. Yeah, to go from Sacred Heart to the NFL, you probably have some pretty uh, prolific slash obnoxious numbers on your on your stat sheet. He did. I, I remember a coach came up to him. Uh, after a game, he told me this after a game one time, they were like, we game planned for you, and he still had like 25 tackles or something crazy like that. 
So, Jesse, what do you want to see your Bills do for 2019? Um, I'm happy with where they're at in the draft. Ninety Nine million to spend. I know, I know. That's awesome. I don't. It from what it sounds like, they're not gonna blow it all just to blow it all, which I like. Um, they don't want to put themselves in a position that they used to be in. Uh, one thing I, the, the guys that we that I watch games with early in the season, I was like, we need to prepare ourselves that they're probably going to draft somebody defensive right up the bat, you know, because it's a really good defensive draft. We need to mentally prepare ourselves for that because we want linemen. We want receivers. We want weapons. Um, but I just want them to be smart with it. I know free agency, the nature of the beast is overpaying for dudes. Um, that's just kind of how it works in, you know, the NBA and the NFL, whatever. I just want them to be smart with it. Um, and I think they have a good core. Um, you know, if you follow all these players and on Instagram and you watch their Instagram stories, they're all hanging out. Like, that's pretty cool. I don't know. You know, I'm not as avid of a fan of other teams and I don't really know if that's the case, but it seems like everybody's hanging out there. Like wives and girlfriends and family members are all together. It feels like a good core. And I want them to keep building on that core. They have a lot of money. I don't want to set expectations too high, um, but I definitely want to see a consistent winning product on the field. And I did not think Josh Allen was going to be anywhere near where he is. And he's still got a long way to go, but I'm really excited for him to have an NFL offseason. I I think that's going to be huge. Jesse Cuban, you deserve some joy in your life. I hope that uh, the Bills finally uh, give you a reason to cheer again. It's been a long time since uh, John, John Cordo joined the Bills, and uh, <laughs> and uh, your family has been through a lot. You know what? I also want to apologize to all of Buffalo uh, on behalf of the Sabres because in the throes of the 10-game win streak, I bought some. I got excited, and I bought some new merch, and I'm convinced that that's what started the – the downslide. What what is your comedic take on the uh, tr- the sad trombone that uh, our producer uh, Bobby Rosati inserts? Uh, do you think that that's how about or would a laugh track be good or what do you think? I mean, that was a well timed trombone. That was as far as they go. That was a pretty good trombone. Uh, all right, we're going to try to work in maybe a Price Is Right. Uh, <laughs> Zonk yeah. or something like that. That'd be fun. No, Zonk is yeah. uh, Zonk's the other show. Is uh, I have some other funny ones. Let's make a deal. All right. I like that one. Whatever that one was. That was sad trombone. It's the silly one. Bobby bought a CD of uh, funny <laughs> funny noises. Nineteen seventy. He got it at Savers. Yes, <laughs> circa nineteen seventy. <laughs> right. Got it at Savers, and then get your frames at Joanne Fabric. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Jesse Cuban had sent me. Jesse, that, thanks that for might coming not on. Do anything. Well, let's um, welcome, let's do man. this again. Uh, let's uh, let's make this a more regular occurrence. It's uh, it's good to have a uh, ray of sunshine from uh, from Toluca Hills. By the way, I looked it up while we were uh, talking. The Oakwood Apartments, uh, subject of a very long takeout piece, Entertainment Weekly in 2012, uh, took a look at that place because of the whole phenomenon, the dynamic of all these parents. Uh, it mm-hmm. uh, I just kind of breezed through it. But a quick uh, rundown of uh, 
people who also live there and then when I, they don't tell you the failures Jessica Beale, Miley Cyrus, Hillary Duff, Kirsten Dunst, Joel, Josh Hutcherson, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Christina Milian, Frankie Muniz, Raven Simone. See, that's not so bad. Not so bad. And then uh, Jesse Cubinet. They're going to have to Maybe I can put my uh my headshot up in that weird little bodega. I'd like to see it. Well, next time I'm out to L.A., that's what we'll do. Yeah, stay there. All right. Stay there for uh, a couple of days. Hey, if I can get a story out of it, I'll stay anywhere. No, you right. can stay with me. All right. Well, Jesse, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, look forward to having you back again. Look forward to crossing paths with you. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year to you, too. When we come Bye-bye. back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, we're going to talk to Damon men's basketball coach Mike McDonald because you know what happened today? Damon beat the number four team in the country. And we're going to talk about Damon about ready to break into the national rankings when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Special presentation this year in unnecessary censorship. Enjoy. President Trump hasn't exactly made your life as speaker any easier, even though he obviously s- your balls as a Republican president would. What is the carrot that you're dangling for North Korea to convince them to talk? We're not using a carrot to convince them to talk. We're using large dicks. I know too much about cops. I think half the room is cops. Look at these people. I can tell a cop. I can smell a cop. Believe it or not. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Up on NyQuil and Tim Hortons coffee. So uh, let's see what kind of silliness we can get into. Taking your calls at 270-1270. For calling in to congratulate yourself on a well-deserved victory. And if you keep talking this way, they'll take you away to the funny farm. Uh, the Tim Graham Show. On Twitter at 1270thefan. This is Sports Radio 1270thefan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9595. Gosh, what is with me? I just botched it again. If you want to call Viola Cummings and Lindsay, you dial 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Big scoop for the Tim Graham show. <laughs> he was going to be, and he still is going to be on the Bucky and Sully show tomorrow morning. But we have him here first, <laughs> an exclusive. Damon men's basketball coach, Mike McDonald, fresh off a big win over number four, St. Anselm. The game was in Snyder where Damon has now improved its record to 7-0 and at home this year and looking to crack into the Division II national rankings for the first time in school history. Mike McDonald, nice win today. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Where are we right now at the, in the Damon basketball program? Where I know that uh, I don't mean uh, like hey we're who's at the next game and all that stuff, but 
as you're building this program, and I know that it was a fun ride last year, almost getting into the tournament, um, and then the expectations heading into this year with the traction that you have, where are you in terms of your satisfaction with your program and uh, here at uh, 10 and one on the season, seven and zero at home? Well, we're uh, um, still evolving. I think it's probably a good way to put it. We are in the middle of a, a five games in nine day stretch that'll take us to uh, we leave for Texas tomorrow and play two games down in Austin. Um, but we are. It's funny we have not you know we have not had our whole team together. Today was the first time we've had everybody together uh, to play. Um, and we've just we've had the injury bug has bitten us pretty good. Um, we've we've had our our starting backcourt from last year, Jay, Jay Sarkis and Darius Garvin were have both been out with injuries, and uh, um, we had another guy Nick Petrucelli got hurt, and then we have a big man Andrew Cisco who missed a couple games earlier this week. So we've been kind of figuring it out and piecing it together, but uh, today we are whole the first time and we did some really good things and uh um i think i think we still have a, a level to grow and, a, and a, some ways to get better though we're in conversation with mike mcdonald damon men's basketball coach and uh the win today 78 72 over number four saint anselm five games in nine days how do you prepare for that mentally or get your guys as ready as they can be uh, especially when there's so many miles involved. You say you're going down to Texas, and uh, just there and back is bad enough. Are you kidding me? I think I need an ice bath right now. Um, we're like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually, though, I think it's it's good in some ways. We just came off a 10-day break at Christmas time. We played December 16th, and we didn't get back again until December 27th to, to practice. And, uh, you know, I think by playing games, you kind of get your rhythm, and it takes the – the first half of the first game we played back against St. Michael's on uh, uh, Saturday afternoon, we were not good. We were not sharp. We were down eight at the half, and then we came out and played great and won by I think we won by nine in the second half. So I think you know it, it's a good time of year to be playing games. There's no classes going on. The guys kind of get bored or get in trouble if you know if they're just sitting around. And I think it's it's a good time to to get guys to play games and, and keep them busy. So we're, we're basically in game practice, game practice, game practice mode right now. Hey, Mike, Jonah Bronstein here. Uh, Hi, Jonah. What, what is this, if you are to be ranked, uh, you know, when the poll comes out on Tuesday, what, how significant is that to you? And, and the regional rankings, obviously the Division Two level are a little different than what we're used to the Division One. They decide whether you go to the tournament. How much do you pay attention and, and does your team pay attention to where you are in those polls? Listen, I'd be lying if I'd say we don't pay attention. You know, we definitely know and we have an idea that we have a chance. I think in the latest NABC coaches poll, we were like 28th, if you were to do the, because we were top 25 were ranked and we were receiving third most receiving votes. But in the end, does it matter? No. I mean, what matters is you have to keep getting better. You have to keep evolving. You have to, um, you know, but it's not where you are on January 2nd. It's really more important where you are March 2nd, you know. Um, so, but these games count, and we learned less last year, a valuable lesson. We lost a, a, a tough game at St. Michael's in, uh, on December 30th last year, and I think if you were to point at one game that kind of kept us out of the tournament and burst our bubble, was that game. So we know that every game is valuable, every game is important, and uh, we just want to keep going. But I know we're going to play two teams in Texas 
one was ranked, one is currently ranked. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> you guys, since the uh, last 30 games, 27-3, and three, since you really started that run midway through yeah. last year, yeah. with guys in and out of the lineup, what's – you know what is it about this group and this team that they've been able to have so much success? Uh, you know since that point. I'll give you a, a cool story, and I think it really reflects on everything. It's from today's game. We're playing last four games. Young man out of Niagara Falls High School, Breon Harris, I think has been our leading scorer. He's our second leading scorer overall. He's been great for us. He's played the point. He's played the two. He's played the three. He's played a little bit of everything for us. So today we're playing. And we're playing the fourth-ranked team in the country. It's a big game. They've known it's a big game, and they, they've pointed to this game. And in the second half, Breon's out. And he hadn't been playing great. He did have eight rebounds, but he wasn't shooting great. And we had a lineup in that was rolling. And at one point, I turned to him, and I said, don't worry, I didn't forget about you. He goes, Coach, keep them in there. They're rolling. You know? And uh, that, to me, uh, says a lot about this group. It really talks about how selfless they are and how they really just care about winning. And... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of places, a guy who's uh, who's been leading the team in scoring or second leading scorer is, is going to be kind of grumbling and grousing. And, uh, you know, nah, Breon just wants to win. And I think that really speaks to the character of some of these guys and and, and what we have. How much of a kick did uh, the team get out of seeing Breon his play get on SportsCenter the other night? <laughs> We've kidded them a lot about it uh, because uh, it, was a, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a funny play. You know, the ball's rolling out of bounds. He saves it. And the announcer on SportsCenter says, oh, yeah, you know, he had to beat the shot clock. And there were nine seconds on the shot clock. So he could have tried to save it to a teammate. But he, uh, in true Breon fashion, he shot it up over the backboard and it went in. And uh, next thing you know, it's because uh, one of the guys said, you know, some of the NBA guys might be watching that saying, hey, that's a pretty cool shot. So, uh, hey, it's, it's fun. It's all part of this magical ride we're on. we got a good group. And we're just going to kind of enjoy the ride right now. Mike McDonald, men's basketball coach at Damon. I, I need to leave some meat on the bone for uh, tomorrow morning, uh, Mike. I, I'd be I'd feel guilty if we uh, just drained it all out of you right now. We got to leave something for Bucky and Sully. Yeah, all right, but I'm looking forward to coming in March and talking the NCAA tournament with you guys. Well, we're that's going to happen if you can find some time. We'll get you in here well before that, and it's uh, long overdue. We'll we should have had you okay. in here already. <laughs> hey, are you kidding? You got a bill season, and the Sabers are good now. You have to. You got to focus on what's important right now. The Sabers, <laughs> eh, you—you've been uh, buried in your basketball a little bit too much the past few weeks. Uh, I think the back when you were paying attention, the Sabers were were good. But uh, hey, hey, I went to the opener. Took my son Mark. We went to the opener, and uh, I felt so bad for those guys. They're, you know, booing after the first period, and just like, oh man, it's going to be a long year. And uh, listen, they're young. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. I think so. I think things are things are turning around for the organization in general with Jason Botterill and what's going on in Rochester. But I think it's going to be a bumpy ride uh, here down the home stretch for the yeah. for the Sabers. But they got some points banked, and uh, maybe they'll make it. Yeah, but I think they will. Well, when we come in, uh, you can talk uh, hockey the entire time. We'll see. Yeah, we'll that, see how that goes. <laughs> You'll get a lot of complaints about that. All right, <laughs> men's basketball coach Mike McDonald of Damon. Uh, thanks for coming on on short notice, and uh, congratulations on the big victory today. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right, when we come back, more Bills talk. We're going to talk a little UB basketball. We're going to see uh, what recent game that the UB men didn't play in that is uh, going to affect UB maybe for the rest of the season in terms of its rankings. Uh, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas coming up in the next hour, and we're also going to have... Wrestling legend Lex Luger 
on to talk about the passing today of an icon in broadcasting, Mean Gene Okerlund. I'm sure we all have our thoughts on him and uh, what the, the memories, the sentimentality of him, one of the great straight men in the history of entertainment, not just wrestling, but in the history of entertainment. All that and more coming up on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. 285-9555. Visit him on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Here with my big crooked co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein handling things on Periscope where you can see a live stream of this and all previous Tim Graham shows. If you're of the podcasting sort, you can wait just a few minutes after the show is over at 6 p.m. and uh, it will be posted on SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, all previous episodes there also available. Subscribe, rate the podcast. I'd appreciate it if you did. And Bobby Rosati. I'm calling all kinds of audibles today on the show, and Bobby is handling it without issue. Yeah, I'm Tom Brady. I got the system down like that. You're gonna be. You're gonna get the game ball unless Ooh. something bad happens. <laughs> oh no. We've had two guests on the fly. Well, we will have had two guests on the fly, and a third guest who is gonna change the time he's normally on. Joel Staniszewski is gonna be on a little earlier than he usually is. So. And then Mike Rodak isn't contributing at all, so Bobby has to carry him too. You know, this idea of continuity I was just thinking about, everybody's kind of standing around in a circle over the Bills having continuity this offseason. Mm-hmm. I think the Tim Graham show could do with a little less continuity. What do you think? Sometimes you got to make things better. Maybe I'll ask Jonah that question. Like you know, should there... Jonah, if we uh, if we had to, if we had to make a change, what what do you think we should do? I think we should go back to the old blocking scheme, with Joe Licata running the center, and maybe having Mike call in once in a while. <laughs> I think we should have Joe Licata at center. It's brutal. All right, but no, it's it's the idea of you know Josh Allen in the system that's back. Well, why doesn't Juan Castillo get? the benefit of continuity. You know, if this offensive line is bad again next year, can we say, well, it's because they didn't have enough continuity. Here's the thing. And I understand, I'm coming around and I, and I'm, and I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'm simply saying, I understand. Okay. Why, why are there some changes and why in some cases is there this idea of growth and patience and development? Because you're taking this as this, this whole idea of Sean McDermott talking about continuity or Brandon Bean talking about continuity and growing for the future and b- building guys into roles that they're going to be in now and hopefully forever, right? I mean, that's what you're going with. You're buying into that message just as as much as you buying into that message is the same as people buying into the message that the Bills were a one-voice organization and that Doug Whaley doesn't talk to the press anymore because we want Sean to do all the talking for our organization. Typical like, road act is buying into what the Bills are selling. 
and it's not yeah it's like i think anybody Rodak. wanted wanting to take a look at it from the the reality is the no they they just didn't want doug whaley to talk anymore because as soon as doug whaley is gone brandon bean is now the most accessible general manager in the entire nfl the history of the nfl maybe in the history of the nfl the guy is out there and he doesn't care he'll do any interview request mm-hmm. and i love him for it because he's just like a regular dude and he's just it's not rocket science i'm not here to he doesn't tell you all the secrets of course but he also doesn't treat his job as being uh some like he should have a satellite office at the pentagon norad or something exactly so anyway i think that the whole message of continuity and all those things were yeah contained to 2018 that doesn't mean it's an organizational you know moving forward like we need to make sure we get Connor McDermott ready for 2019 or we need to make sure we get name a guy even Vlad Dukas we're going to make sure we really know what we got out of Vlad Dukas before we give Ike Butker a chance or you know it's just it, it was just for this year it was just to get them through this period now they get to throw a ton of money at stuff if they want, one of the things it'll be, I've gotten a sneak preview of Eric Wood's column for tomorrow. One of the things that he brings up, which I think is very interesting regarding free agency, Eric Wood says in his article, his column uh, it runs every week at uh, The Athletic, where I happen to work. So I'm biased when I say if you haven't subscribed to it, I think you should. I think it's pretty good. Uh, but Eric Wood brings up the point that this is now year three of the, he uses the phrase regime, of the McDermott-Bean program. This is going into year three. And even without Kyle Williams, there are enough people in place on the roster, on the staff, people within the front office who are bought in and have the McDermott-Bean DNA, as Eric Wood calls it. And because of that, Eric Wood thinks that the Bills should take a gamble on a player or two who might have issues on another team, a superstar talent who might come at a discount because he has baggage, because Eric Wood thinks that entering year three of a program, they have the foundation to handle that. And if they need to cut the guy or they need to move... So the, the, the practices or the habits that you have your young guys following are ingrained in McDermott, the coaching staff, the leaders on the team like Lorenzo Alexander, whatever was left. You know, Kyle Williams will resonate a little bit. Guys were around him and learned from him about what you should do. Um, so, yeah, that who do you – so – I mean, Antonio Brown is the first name that comes to mind. Sure. But – Le'Veon Bell. There's a lot. I mean, the Steelers cap-wise would have to eat $20 million dead money this year next year in order to trade Antonio Brown. Well, so he, I think I will say and please check out the column for more detail on what Eric Wood had to say. He wasn't he wasn't right. talking about Antonio Brown in that instance. But, but I that think that's that the name the, that pops into your head. Yeah, that's the instant. It's fresh right now. Yeah, that's I mean, I don't know if there's even another name that would be close in that category. Or heading into I mean, these are just examples. Obviously, this is too late for that. The Bills could not have done it a year ago or six months ago, Khalil Mack. The Bills could be players for guys like that when they couldn't heading into the season because of their salary cap constraints. Right. If there's a holdout somewhere and a team needs to unload a guy, right. the Bills can be in that right. conversation. And that's, that's a different talk, different 
topic, though, than what Eric was saying that, you know, a bad apple, so to speak. Cleo Mack wasn't really a bad apple in Oakland. It was just they weren't re-signing him. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's there's validity to that. Um, I don't I don't think they'll go in that direction. I don't at least think this they will, right. I don't think they want huge contracts could. on the books quite yet until maybe it's that last piece putting them over the top. And I know it's year three, but it almost feels like year one was year zero. It's kind of that fluky, I don't want to say fluky, but they made the playoffs when they maybe weren't expecting to do that that year, and the rebuild really started this year. I think they're still a year or two away from that. Let's make our final push. We have to be good now this year. And it really, that ties into the age of the quarterback. Their window is as long as Josh Allen is still the guy for them. And I think I will agree with or I'll buy into what Brandon Bean said this week, which was they want to spend their money on guys they already know, guys who they are familiar with. I mean, Tredavious White would be the big name. Um, and, you know, there's there's still time on him. It's They can't even extend him until after this season, this upcoming season, and then he would still have the fifth-year option beyond that for 2021. So there's really no need for the Bills to pay him right now or, I guess, after this season. But um, that's the sort of guy you would give the huge contract to as opposed to, you know, let's say Marcus Peters from the Rams, who's a damn good corner, but you're talking about a bad apple. I mean, that guy has had his issues over the years. So – um, I I don't know if they're going to spend, you know, if they're going to spend fifty or sixty million of of what the they have right now. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going into the season with forty, fifty million in cap space and rolling it over into next year. I mean, the the spending floors for the NFL are done, I believe, on a three year rolling basis. So they've spent pretty much up to the cap. Uh, the last couple years, and that covers them for this year. So there's no requirement for them to spend that money. I know fans will probably be clamoring for them to do it, but you know the, the most obvious target, I guess, would be offensive line. Well, go back to the 2006 offseason and tell me how it worked out when the Bills threw a bunch of money at Derek Dockery and Langston Walker. I mean, just because you're spending big on these guys doesn't mean that it works. I know fans were, by the end of this season, you know, not all that high on, on Starla Talele, who the Bills paid – Fifty million to. Um, well, what do the Bills season. have to do? They have to go after O line help. So right, they have to sign O line free agents. But I mean, it, if you're looking for a fifty million dollar deal, I don't know if that's going to happen. It could be a couple more guys like Russell Bodine who fill some holes until the draft, and then you have a fourth or fifth year veteran center along with potentially a third-round pick, let's say. That's, I think, the more realistic way for them to do it, um, rather than just trying to build your roster with guys who are making $10 million a year. And there's no – I don't think there's desperation that they have to be a playoff team next year or win a playoff game. That might come somewhere along the line, but I don't think they're at that point either with the coach or the general manager. I think fans will – and I'm just speaking anecdotally. I think they'll expect this team to compete for the playoffs, to be close, to be a nine-win team, let's say. I think if we start getting less than that, I think there will be a level of disappointment. I, but I think, think it still comes down to Josh. And if they're winning six or seven games again, but Josh Allen's looking better than he did this year, then I think there will be more optimism. But if they're winning – 
eight or nine and you're you have some more questions about Josh Allen, then I think fans will you know start to turn on on this regime as they did this year. I mean, let's not forget in October there's a lot of negative press, shall we say, about Sean McDermott and the process and people questioning that. I mean, it things change quickly. So I I still think there's going to be a, a relatively high bar next year. I'm not saying AFC Championship, but I think fans would love to see a playoff game. Let's change it to something a little bit more immediate than how they're going to spend their money in free agency and what they should do on the coaching staff. We talked in the first hour about Juan Castillo and the philosophy about firing him and whether it was fair or not. But one name that we haven't delved into that I'd like to is the special teams coordinator, Danny Crossman. I know, Mike, you looked up some numbers earlier regarding uh, his performance as a coordinator over the years uh, historically has not been very good has been one of the most frustrating uh, members of and the of the bills coaching staff as in a we while. um as we talk right now alex marvez of i forget what outlet he's at now sirius xm says that bills have fired r- wide receivers coach terry robisky so that's kind of an interesting one um given that they made a change last offseason at wide receivers coach. They didn't bring back Phil McGagan, who was allowed to be hired by Anthony Lynn out in Los Angeles. They brought in Terry Obisky, a much more experienced name, has been an offensive coordinator at a bunch of stops. Was a head He's coach been a head coach. For the Browns, briefly. And uh, so it means more turnover for the Bills uh, this offseason. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, I would expect some – of Brian Dayball's guys to be brought in. And obviously the Patriots coaching staff would be, um, you know, the first place to, uh, to look there, but getting back to Danny Crossman, Mike, you know, the Patriot real quick. Yes. So while we're on that, you know, the Patriots pretty well, especially yes. when it comes to the history of uh, assistant coaches, is there an offensive line coach out there? I know Dante Skarniecki is right. the, the longtime guru, maybe the greatest offensive line coach in NFL history, but he did retire briefly. Right. And he has had assistant offensive line coaches. So is there, Brian a, Dayball was one of them. Is there anybody that you can look at and well, say, it's Cole Popovich would be the name. And he was an offensive lineman with, Fresno State back in the mid-2000s, and the Patriots have always had a, a pretty uh, tight connection with Fresno State and Pat Hill, uh, their coach out there. So, yeah, Dante Skarniecki is 70, 71 years old at this point, uh, 70 years old. He'll be 71 in February. Um, nobody really knows exactly how much longer he'll coach, but Cole Popovich has been the guy who's been groomed to be his replacement. So it's a question of, again, we're speaking theoretically here, but – if Brian Dayball comes calling for Cole Popovich, would he join the Bills in an immediate role as their offensive line coach, or would he believe that he has a better opportunity to stay in New England and and be in potentially a more stable situation there? You know, much like Josh McDaniels has um, done over the years. So, um, if you're talking wide receivers coaches from New England, I think that's a, a tougher one. I there's some younger names there. Demarcus Covington, Atif Austin. Jerry Shaplinski is the name that I would watch. Um, the assistant quarterbacks coach for the Patriots uh, is a John Carroll uh, alumnus, which a lot of these um, these Patriots assistants are, and, and that has a connection. Not Brian Dable and they go to John Carroll, but um, he certainly knows a lot of these guys, whether it's McDaniels or, or Nick Casario or um, the other guys from Franny's who went to John Carroll would be – Tom Telesco, the Telesco, general manager, Dave Caldwell, right. Um, so there's Don the, Shula, the one of the Polian kids. I think might have yeah. gone there. But anyway, it's there's um, 
there's sort of a, a tree there that I think Dayball would probably try to um, to pull from. So yeah, more changes than, than expected. That the Terry Rubisky firing, if you want to call it that, uh, more likely a contract situation. It does say, and I'm looking at Alec Mar- Alex Marvez's tweet. It says, "Source tells me that Terry Rubisky won't be returning as Bills coach." Now Terry Rubisky's up there in age; he could just be retiring. That is possible, right? You'd think though that, um, I'm again. My guess here is that it's coming from the the Rubisky side of things, and I would assume if that was the case, then that would be made clear if that's if that was the case he's 64 so i think he probably has a couple more years of coaching left in him yeah all right when we come back we're gonna hear from lex luger on the passing of the iconic entertainer gene okerlund whether you followed wrestling or not you knew who gene okerlund was especially back in the mid 80s uh, when wrestling really exploded on cable television he was front and center in the tuxedo Really the guy who brought pro wrestling into a lot of homes over the years. And um, so we're going to talk to Lex Luger about that. And we're also going to have uh, Joel Staniszewski on the line for Vegas to uh, give us his thoughts on this weekend's NFL games on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. I'll say it right to space. I'll say And injured by the negligence of others. Call the lawyers of Viola Cummings and Lindsay to represent you in a personal injury or workers' compensation matter. At Viola Cummings and Lindsay, we can help you pick up the pieces and get the benefits you deserve. Call 285-9555. On the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Viola Cummings and Lindsay, attorneys at law, with three locations to serve you in Niagara Falls, Lockport, and Williamsville. Call today for a free consultation. I can't believe it. That we're in an elevator with a puma? No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Um, could you hit seven for me? Okay, no need to. That's fine. I'm good. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Imagine your dream carpet installed for free. The Home Depot offers all-inclusive installation on minimum purchases of $699. That's removal of your old carpet, basic furniture moving, and stairs. So the dream carpet you want comes at the price you were expecting. Free carpet installation that's actually free. The Home Depot. More saving. More doing. Valid only on showroom carpet price. $1 or more per square foot. Specialty items may be priced separately. License numbers available at homedepot.com slash license numbers. The Tim Graham Show. Oh, that's trash, young lady. No, you can't. Hey, stop that, young lady! The charity's on fire! The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270thefan. This is Sports Radio 1270thefan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. Four big NFL tilts this weekend. 
wild card round of the playoffs, it's one of my favorite sports weekends to have two NFL foosball games on Saturday and Sunday and uh, some scrappiness, and the games are usually pretty close, and the spreads, three of them are at two points. The other one's a little wider, but uh, interesting game there too. So without any more ado, why is ado always further? It's all further ado. Why can't I yeah, – there's different ways. Without additional ado – that sounds funny. Right. Well, it all because that's the that's phrase always goes, further ado. Without additional ado. Well, you can bid ado. But bid ado is a different form of ado, right? It's yeah. It's A-D-I-E-U as opposed to A-D-O. Without uh. further ado, Bobby. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. How about that intro, Joel? I love it. I love it. It goes on for a bit. It's like every Wednesday is the day before my birthday. I love it. <laughs> Joel Staniszewski is from Sloan, went to Buff State, and has been out in Las Vegas for quite some time as a handicapper, odds maker, and gambling analyst. And he is on the Tim Graham Show every week to talk about what's going on, usually with the Bills, but it's playoff time now, so we need to shift to the other four games. And uh, pretty tight, pretty tight. Two points for uh, three of the games. The uh, the only game that's uh, got a, a big spread is Philly at Chicago. Chicago opened as a six-point favorite, and it's holding strong there. Uh, what When you take a look at this slate of games, uh, what jumps out at you? Well, my first thought when looking at these games was that the Chicago line was too high. Uh, looking at them all, you know, between, we'll say, we'll say a field goal for the most part. Looking at these games as a field goal spread, I felt that that Philly-Chicago game could easily also be a field goal spread. Um, it seems a bit high, especially for a team uh, that hasn't been to the playoffs in quite some time uh, with a young, inexperienced playoff quarterback who, of these four teams, is probably the worst quarterback in the wild card round. Uh, yes, their defense is, is phenomenal, uh, but Philly, with Nick Foles at the helm, has been, uh, obviously, as we've seen, uh, tremendous at the end of last season and now at the end of this season. So I don't see a reason why that line is that high. Um, so that's the first thing that jumped out at me. The totals, uh, all nothing not, nothing outrageous. Uh, the biggest total is 47.5. That's Indianapolis at Houston. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is probable in that one. He'd be about the only player who would affect that if he's uh, unable to go. Uh, or I should say he's the only one that's in question and would affect uh, probably how, you, how you'd think about betting. Everybody else is, is uh, green light. Uh, your thoughts on that total there, 47.5. And it's actually yeah, that, being bet up to you know, summer. It looks like a lot of people are taking the under. 
Yeah, it's bet up to as high as 49 some places. Uh, that game, to me, is, is an under to me. Um, you know, those two teams split on the road uh, throughout the season. So the, the, the action has been pretty even on both sides. It's probably a little bit heavier uh, on Indianapolis. Uh, but I think, which I think is the right side, is is Indy. Uh, but I feel like those two teams have really good defenses. Houston defense is 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 one of the top five scoring defenses that given up less than twenty points a game on average this year. So I don't see why that spread would be going up. Uh, to me, that seems like an underplay. And I'm surprised to see Houston as a two point favorite. And it's been bet down a little bit. It's down to a point and a half at some places, but. Indianapolis comes into this game as the hottest team in the NFL. Absolutely. And so how do you how would you explain that? You've been a odds maker. Uh, where did that number come from? Do you think? Well, that number comes from uh, you know they're even, fairly evenly matched teams. Like I said, they they split uh, throughout the season. Uh, Houston's at home, which obviously that's the main thing right there is that they're the home team. So home team gets about three points uh, when you're factoring a spread. Uh, Indianapolis, you know, has won nine of their last ten games. So um, Houston is uh, seven and seventeen straight up their last twenty-four games when playing Indianapolis. So that's why they're a, a small home favorite. You know, if you take the three points into account, you, you know, it's saying that Indianapolis is a slightly better team by it being one and a half and two across town. And then uh, just to make sure that we touch on all all of the games, uh, Seattle at Dallas. Dallas is a two and a half point favorite there. Uh, the total is around forty three. Uh, what uh, what's, what what's stands out to me? There? Uh, yeah, the the Seattle. In my opinion, they they could very easily be favored in this game. Uh, Seattle uh, is you know they're both fairly evenly matched teams when it comes to uh, when you look at the, the rosters. Uh, the big thing that stands out for Dallas is obviously going to be their run game, but this team is predicated to to have a lead and just maintain that lead. So they fall behind. Their defense isn't good enough to hold a team, and their offense isn't dynamic enough to to come back. Uh, Seattle in prime time, which is what you would consider this game, is eleven and two straight up their last thirteen prime time games, and they're twenty two five and one straight up. Their last 28 primetime games with Russell Wilson starting at quarterback. So that to me is a is Seattle comes to play when it's a, when it's a primetime game. Uh, Dallas, their their games that they played this year, they've they've had a couple of games where they were very lackluster. Look when we saw them play against the Colts. Uh, so to me, Seattle is, is the, the team here with that one. Well, Joel, that is three underdogs. Uh, you want you want the points in all the games so far. That leaves us with Chargers at Ravens. The Ravens are favored in this game too uh, because they're the home team. But the Chargers have been uh, a lot of people were talking about them as uh, when they were going great as as they were the hottest team in the NFL for a period. So, what do you make of Chargers at Baltimore? So uh, Chargers at at Baltimore. Um, the the big thing that stands out. And to I want me to apologize char- to the listeners real quick. We went out of order with these games, so this is now the yeah. one o'clock game right. on Sunday. <laughs> we went. We started uh, with the last game of the week and then uh, looped around. Yeah, we just kind of jumped around. Um, what stands out to me is uh, the Chargers on the road. They are seven and one this year on the road. 
Baltimore is one and five, their last six at home. Uh, everyone remembers, you know, just what, two weeks ago, Baltimore uh, beat the Chargers 22 to 10. Um, so obviously that's plays in people's minds. What have you done for me lately kind of thing. But um, the majority of the action has come in on the Chargers. That is the most one-sided action that we have so far this weekend. Um, you know, it, what, what stands out to me is uh, Lamar Jackson. He is, he is the X factor in this game. Uh, you know, people are having a really hard time containing him with the run and the pass option, uh, but he can also make mistakes. In his seven starts, he's had 12 fumbles. And since 2012, rookie quarterbacks are 1-5 in five against this, uh, one in five straight up and 2-4 and four against the spread in the playoffs. So when the big game comes up, uh, the rookies have failed to produce. Um, so it's hard to really say. I mean, with, with Philip Rivers, he's a great quarterback. He's had a tremendous career, but you really don't know too much about him in the playoffs. He's not one to really stand out. I mean, he's had an exceptional year. He's had an exceptional, you know, what, 12, 13 years that he's played. Uh, but you rarely ever talk about him and you mention the playoffs. So I think this is a big game for him as well to really cement his his uh, place in history when it comes to the quarterback position yeah another loss uh, these are the types of games especially at the end of your career that i think uh, and now granted when you do retire it does take you five years until you come up for uh, the hall of fame um but the the talk starts at the end of your career and kind of it gets a little momentum uh, and if he's able to win a couple of games uh, that maybe gives the hall of fame voters uh, a way to justify getting uh, putting him in because of the stats as opposed to, you know, if he loses again, then that just uh, underscores that narrative of he just couldn't win in the playoffs. Yeah, he'll always be part of the discussion with, with Eli Manning. And Eli Manning has had far less success as a whole in the NFL, but has two rings. So when you look at those two together, what do you want? Do you want a guy with stats, or do you want a guy that wins championships? That's right. I wrote about that a few weeks back regarding uh, how stats are getting inflated for receivers, and we've been talking about that with Andre Reid for years, and it kept him out because the numbers exploded right around the time he retired. Uh, And, hey, if the receiving numbers are inflated, that means the passing numbers are going to be inflated, and how does that affect a quarterback? And, uh, yeah, right at at the crux of that discussion is, uh, Eli Manning and Philip Rivers out of the same draft class and uh, the way that their careers uh, unfolded. Do they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I think they're both borderline cases, and it depends on uh, what you're into. So, uh, Joel, thanks for uh, breaking down the playoff slate for us this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week about uh, round two. All right, sounds good. Take care, guys. All right, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, as he always is. And uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, we're going to have Lex Luger on the line, one of the uh, great pro wrestlers, and uh, he's a uh, Orchard Park High School graduate uh, living in the North Towns now, uh, and uh, he's going to come on to talk about the passing of Gene Okerlund, uh, who I will make the case uh, as being one of the great straight men uh, in entertainment history. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Nobody messed with Mean Gene because he was kind of, you know, nobody ever really jacked him around or did he was never a, really a prop in that way. He was, everybody respected him, regardless of whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. 
And so Gene, and he was just hilarious. He set up these guys to deliver their one-liners, and and uh, I, he was fantastic. And so I wanted to bring on uh, our local legend here, a, re- a pro wrestling legend himself. Lex Luger is joining us here on the Tim Graham Show. Lex, uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on, and uh, and hopefully uh, it a chance to reflect on a pretty amazing career and a guy who was pivotal to pro wrestling success when it exploded uh, in the uh, in the 80s and and to what we know it to be today. Lex, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Lex, what you heard uh, the news today that Gene Okerlund had passed away. What were your immediate thoughts? Well, I was having coffee with my mom at a local coffee shop. My phone started blowing up immediately. I usually have my phone face down, but I turned it over. I was, you know, we're always, uh, you know, none of us have any promise of tomorrow, but I was, um, boy, it really, uh, really hit me pretty hard. A guy actually, within a minute, in the coffee shop, walked up to me with his phone and said, as you heard, and I never met the guy, but he was a wrestling fan, held it up. So it, the reverberations were already starting in our world of pro wrestling. Gene was, wow, so highly regarded by all of us. You, you said it so well. I was just listening to your comments. I don't know what I could add to that, but wow. I mean, he was the first time I ever did an interview with Gene. I had, he had so much admiration and respect from the guys. Like you said, no one ever messed with Gene. He was a class act. And he led everybody through those interviews. And um, under any circumstance, um, I was actually at Butterflies the first time I interviewed with Gene. And uh, I, was, I was nervous. And he made me feel so comfortable and led me right through the interview. Uh, I was relatively inexperienced at the time. But uh, got to be good friends with Gene. Actually, which was unusual with Gene. Gene usually did his wrestling thing and then went home to Sarasota. And he was a golf fanatic and played his golf. He Belonged to a beautiful private club there in Sarasota, and I felt so honored. Um, he usually kept those things relatively separate. Great guy, loved everybody, friendly, but he'd go home and be Gene back in Sarasota and at the golf club. And he invited me down. I was an avid golfer as well at the time, and I was so honored he invited me. I don't know anybody else ever been invited to come down to his private club and play golf. It was a, I really treasure that moment, and what it, it was a great day down there with him. In what way, and uh, you coming up in a different way, you didn't come up through the WWF at the time or the WWE, um, and to finally to be interviewed by Gene Okerlund, I'm guessing is is a, a welcome to the big leagues moment. Oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> Gene was the man, the voice behind the mic, and that, like you said in the back with those interviews. I mean, he did... Uh, he had such talent. His facial expressions, um, everything he did was he had he was so talented, and um, he even in ring with live interviews and things. He do some of the in ring interviews. Wow, because you know a lot of that's spontaneous. And you guys know when you're doing an interview and it's spontaneous, you know it's uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. And uh, when we talk about a lot of times what you're going to say out there a little bit, but you also give him some leeway. And Gene was just just the best at uh, at staying on point and and uh, leading us through the interviews. All the guys uh, had and have to this day just the utmost respect for Gene. I mean, he's a real class act. Always a sharp dresser, great sense of humor, and he 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 always made 
you feel in a conversation like you're the only one in the room, and if you're in a room full of people, Gene had that gift of eye contact and just um, just a really special guy. We're in conversation with wrestling legend Lex Luger uh, discussing the passing today of uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. And, you know, where I think he was super important and something that I guess I didn't think about until, you know, until his passing and you start thinking about legacies and what somebody really meant and, and the genius of their craft. I, I think where Gene Okerlund was super important to pro wrestling's earlier years, meaning when it was starting to hit the mainstream, uh, and be a uh, a sport that uh, or a uh, entertainment uh, as a sports show, entertainment uh, as a show that people were watching on cable television and and making it uh, an everyday or a, a pop culture phenomenon is the way he had that deadpan delivery and as you're watching as whether I'm 12 years old or there's somebody who's 35 years old watching this in the uh, on USA network or wherever is you're wondering, is this for real? Is that what is going on with this? This is crazy. This is a carnival. But Gene Okerlund, he was so deadpan, and he had the tuxedo on, and he was every every bit a part of the show. But he had this gravitas to him, and it's almost like you kept looking for Gene Okerlund for a clue as to is this is this a put on? How fake is this? But Gene Okerlund had this presence about him in which you came away thinking, this must be real, because this guy wouldn't be able to keep it together if, if this were fake. He's got a guy in uh, wearing a, a tutu and a, and a, a, and, and a, a sash uh, and in between. He's in between that and a guy who's got scarves on and, and face makeup, and he's, he's treating it as though he's you know, conducting a wedding. And maybe in some cases he was. Yeah, I, Gene, like you said so well when we first came on about this, he could have been in any, I think, sports. Um, he could have been a red carpet guy. He just had that, that special it factor, that gift of interacting with people. And um, I, I don't think there will ever be another guy like him in, in, in wrestling for sure. You mentioned the the spontaneity of a of a wrestling interview out there. How can you take us behind the scenes a little bit to what that's like? How is that different than you know if an athlete in a football game is getting interviewed after the game? How, when you what's that interplay like between yourself and a guy like Mean Gene trying to perform for the crowd in an interview setting? Yeah, the, we have kind of a especially on a big like in ring in front of the live crowd interview, but they have a like an outline kind of they might go over with you. But sometimes not. Um, when you're out with Gene, they trust him to lead you through it. And um, it was absolutely, most of the time, totally spontaneous with Gene. And um, it was, uh, but after that first time, I was nervous. After that, I was never nervous to interview with him. Um, he could, if you, if you got off track, he could immediately tell, and he'd get you back on track. And he was just, he was just such a pro. He was uh because we really do, uh, you know, some of the guys can get, like you said, get kind of off the wall, and Gene could go with that, but he, then he, if he had to reel them in, he could. He, had, he was just really special with all that. I hear that he was a legendary partier, Lex. Uh, what do you know about that? <laughs> I, did, I did hang out with Gene a few times after hours, and, uh, yeah, he, was, uh, he enjoyed uh, socializing. He definitely did. He could, he could hang there with the best of them. For sure. Can you give an example? Um, not not anything specific, really. Just 
you know, all the guys would get together, uh, um, you know, a lot of times after pay-per-view, we, a lot of times we were all staying in the same hotel, and Gene could hang there with the best of them for sure. He would close it out. He wasn't early to bed guy most of the time. He was he was right there. You were talking about big athletes, a lot of these guys, and Gene was, Gene was uh, he could hang right there with the best of them for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the classic uh Gene Okerlund moments, and it's usually uh, classy Freddie Blassie, uh, mm. Rowdy Roddy Piper, those guys. Do you, uh, was there ever, um, well, what's what's the iconic interaction, do you think, uh, with, with Gene Okerlund? I mean, you've, you've seen all the different guys go through it. I mean, did, was there, uh, or were there ways that you guys would try to get him to crack up, or what, I guess, what were the, uh, what would that be like in terms of you watching him interact with some of the other guys good luck getting G- me and gene off track my gosh many tried i never saw it happen he was, he was something else you were going to throw him off at all he he worked with every character we got a lot of characters in pro wrestling because that's what part of what sells is the guys are just natural characters and um who are the best at, at what we do and man gene was uh gene could hang there with anybody and not get off track he was he was really, really something. He really, when you think about it, he got more, t- almost more TV time than any of us. That's why today it hit so many people. That's just us guys in the in the uh, wrestling business, but people outside of it. Like I said, even at the coffee shop, people come to me. Gene was, he definitely was a. We hear a lot about iconic figures, but he was on television as much more than any of us guys, and with every. You you went back to with Roddy Piper and those guys and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. He Macho Man Randy Savage. He worked he worked with literally every guy, main event, mid card, new guys coming on the scene. He and uh, he handled it all with just class and dignity and grace. And he was he he is going to be missed for sure. Yeah, whether you liked pro wrestling or not, if you ever gave it a chance. You were probably you were introduced to it probably by Gene Okerlund because if you said, "Hey, I don't know if I like wrestling, but I'm going to tune in and check it out," Gene Okerlund was maybe the first face you saw mm-hmm. or the guy who was the gauge as to whether or not you were going to give it a chance uh, or uh, or liked it. Uh, yeah, so first impression was the that bald guy in the tux. That was the other thing too. I always thought was interesting about Gene Okerlund. I, I would think uh, when I was young and getting in uh, was you know watching it and uh, learning about it was uh, this guy must be really good at his job because he's not a standard uh, television guy. Like, this isn't a pretty face. This isn't a television anchor. But a great voice. Oh, right, right. Resonated oh, voice. voice. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as you heard that yep. voice, you knew who it was. Lex, uh, I, rather than uh, just uh, stay on uh, what's uh, on the sadness of today, what, what are your thoughts on what's going on in wrestling today and how much you follow it? Well, to finish off on Gene, I, I sure I try to embrace the positive, and and what a great career he had, and um, that that's that's what I I always try to focus on. I, you know, obviously our our prayers and condolences are with the family who are, and all everybody's going to miss him so much. I'm going to miss him, but but I I just it, it's it's sad, but I also it makes every time I think about Gene, I smile. No one ever, and we were in a, we could be in a very contentious business behind the scenes. Sports entertainment can be that way. Uh, and, man, I never had heard anybody have a bad word for Gene. And that's really unusual. I mean, just uh, just an incredible guy. 
Well, go ahead. No, Lex, you know what? I want to end it on that thought. Uh, Rather than uh, use this segment on two different uh, topics, uh, I think that's a good place to to keep, you know, let's forget my question about today's wrestling, and let's just uh, keep this as one long, complete thought about uh, Gene Okerlund and his career. And uh, I'm grateful that you were able to come on the air and share your thoughts as somebody who's here from Western New York, and a lot of people do see you out, uh, whether it be at uh, Panera or uh, at the various places they <laughs> spot you. Um, I wanted to have your thoughts on on Gene Okerlund today because, as I said, I, and as Jonah also emphasized, maybe more than any wrestler, he's the guy who mm-hmm. introduced you to pro wrestling and the fans and uh, uh, generations and generations of fans. Uh, so uh, a really uh, a really special, really neat career for him. And uh, thank you for coming on and, and uh, giving your recollections of him. Guys, appreciate you having me on, giving me the opportunity just to say a few words about you. Thank you. All right, Lex Luger in uh, of Williamsville now, Orchard Park Orchard High School Park. graduate and uh, uh, career uh, with the Miami Hurricanes and a little bit in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers and in the CFL. And uh, what an illustrious career for him uh, as a pro wrestler. Very nice of him to join us. Uh, my thanks to Joel Staniszewski. To Mike McDonald, the men's basketball coach at uh, Damon. And for... We had another guest today. Didn't we? Is that it? Jesse. Jimmy yeah, Kimmel. Jesse. Oh, Jesse Cubinet, of course. Jesse Big Cubinet. for guests. It's like we had so many guests yeah. today that uh, the first yeah, one tough. is like, yeah, it's like last show. Uh, big we end, ups. We ended early? Big up, huh? We got a couple more minutes, right? Or well, we ended five fifty-seven. I'm gonna you know give my thanks and stuff. But well, yeah, what else you want to? I don't know. Give out was, a game ball. I was gonna give out a game ball to uh, to Bobby Rosati, our producer, for oh, handling you. four guests deftly. Of course. When we uh, Plus started, a caller. like yeah, right uh, right before the show began, yeah. we were only gonna have one guest, and uh, yeah. it rolled into four, and uh, Bobby Rosati handles it all. Well, we teased the UB. We never really got back to that. Yes. Like maybe I can yeah, break this right. down in 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, UB's lone loss at Marquette. Marquette lost last night at St. John's. St. John's was unranked. A butterfly effect. Yeah, a lot of chatter from that, including from the Marquette coach, Steve Wojciechowski. They'll probably enter the top 25. I don't think that's going to displace UB, which is number 21, but I do think there'll be a lot of ballots where people will say, well, St. John's beat Marquette and Buffalo did not, and they'll have St. John's ahead of Buffalo. And I don't think they're going to drop too far down, but it will – I think affect their ranking a little bit there. It's already dinged their power rankings by about four or five spots in certain ways. They went from 23 to 28 in the net rankings that the NCAA is using. So, where are they in terms of the big picture and the belief that after that Syracuse victory, that okay, even if we don't win the MAC, as long as we don't implode, we still have a really good case for an at-large bid. Is that still as strong as it well, was? Yeah, as long as they're ranked in the top 25 nationally and, and the various power ratings have them around the same area, they're an at-large team. But things can change. Uh, UB has to win most, if not all, but the vast majority of their games against the MAC schools that they play. How many MAC school? How many MAC losses do you think they can withstand before they drop out of the top 25? Well, I, I kind of think they can fall out of that with their next loss. But to fall out of that at-large discussion, I, I think two or three they can handle. I, I don't think it's expected that they go 18-0 and in conference play, especially since the MAC is up this year. Toledo especially is a really good team with a good record. They play them at home next Tuesday. But – the, the key thing now is Syracuse, West Virginia, San Francisco, the good teams that Buffalo has beaten, 
have to keep winning. That's really what it's going to come down to at the end is their quadrant one wins against these top 50 programs on the road. And right now it looks like West Virginia, Syracuse, and San Francisco, that was on a neutral site in Ireland, are good wins. But if those teams falter, there's going to be other schools and big conferences that have more of these quadrant one wins, and that could hurt UB. I really, I think that they're in that mix for the at-large bid if they need it, unless they stumble. But it's their seeding that really is in play. If the tournament ended today, I think they'd be about a six, seven, eight seed. But things could, they they can slip if if their various power ratings don't hold up to where they are right now. All right, Jonah Bronstein, thanks for that analysis. And uh, thanks to my big crooked co-host, Mike Rodak. Didn't really do much today. Yeah, we had some good talk about the Bills coaching staff uh, moves. Uh, still waiting on Danny Crossman. Everybody, uh, you know, burning uh, burning their palms. And a mild surprise with uh, Terry Obisky. Like palms from palm trees, not burning their palms. It's not Palm Sunday. It's a cal- well, it doesn't matter. When something you need extra help, it's you burn the palms. And my grandmother used to do that all the time. If there was like bad weather coming through, big storms or stuff, she'd, uh, you know, the electricity went out, she'd burn palms and say some extra prayers. That's like old school stuff. So, yeah, people are burning their palms in hopes that Danny Crossman gets offed. <laughs> uh, hey, Joel Staniszewski says take all the underdogs this week. And uh, for Bobby Rosati, for Mike Rodak, for Jonah Bronstein, uh, thanks to Joel Staniszewski, to Jesse Kubinet, to Lex Luger, to Mike McDonald, and thank you for listening to The Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. 